For those of us remaining in here this morning, you can turn in your Bible to Psalm 115. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can find that passage printed for you in the bulletin. Uh, so obviously it's New Year's Eve, tomorrow's New Year's Day. This is a time of year for, for New Year's resolutions. And, uh, um, you know, whether it's uh, a new exercise routine or a fitness goal for 2024, maybe a new diet plan, uh, maybe it's a new, uh, a new personal budget you're going to follow this year. Um, maybe it's a Bible reading plan. I highly recommend something like that. A, a new Bible reading plan to, to get you in the scriptures a little bit more this year. Um, it could be a lot of different things. And, you know, it makes sense to kind of think about these things as we enter into January because December is always a month of like, feels like we spend too much, we're too busy, we don't get enough sleep, we're on our screens too much. You know, we, we're not exercising like we wish we would. We're not eating like we wish we would because of all the holiday gatherings, things like that. So what do we do? We make New Year's resolutions. And you might be all in on New Year's resolutions, or you may be an honest person and you don't do them because you know you're not going to keep them. Um, what do you think? I'm curious what you think the percentages of people who actually keep their resolution throughout the whole year. Let's do something very unpresbyterian and say it out loud. What do you think... Um, what do you think, what percentage of people actually keep their resolution throughout the whole year? Just shout it out. 1%, one 5%, 20? 20? Okay, 25%. That's, that's generous to humankind. Uh, 9%. 9% of people that make a New Year's resolution, uh, in America at least, according to one recent study from a university in 2023, will keep their resolution for the uh, entire year. 23% will quit by the end of the week. Uh, and then 43% will make it through January, but will quit at the end of the month. Um, but whether you're a resolutions person or not, um, the, the, the wisdom behind resolutions is this acknowledgement that we are all in the process of becoming certain types of people. And what we do on a daily basis, what we do on a weekly basis, is forming us into becoming certain types of people. So this time of year we kind of reflect and we say like, all right, Based on how I'm living right now, what type of person am I becoming and what do I want to keep doing or change as we enter into this next year? We're going to look at a psalm this morning that's going to help us wrestle with this very question. The question of this psalm is, what are you becoming? That's the question of Psalm 115. Let me direct you to it in your bulletin. I'll read it for us, beginning in verse 1. This is God's Word. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth He has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord 
from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. The word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word. And, and even as we think about our lives, as we wrap up this year and start a new one, um, what we need most is to hear from you. And so, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us during this time? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, kids, do you ever think about what you want to be when you grow up? That'd be a great thing to talk about over lunch today with your family. When I was a kid, there were two things that topped the list for me um, that I wanted to be when I grew up. One was a trash man and one was a fireman. Uh, the first was a trash man. Back in the day, this was uh, many years ago, um, the, this was amazing. This is amazing how they used to do this. The people that picked up the trash got to ride on the back of the truck. Uh, it was these, they were these old trash trucks that had a step on the very back of the truck and this big handle you would hold on to. And so I would look out my window and I would see these guys standing, two guys, standing on the back of the truck, riding around the neighborhood. And they would pick up the bags of trash, which were not in big cans. They were literally bags of trash on the street. They would pick up the bags and throw them in the back of the truck. And I saw this and I was like, that looks like the greatest job ever. You get to stand on the back of the truck. And so I would practice this. I, saw, I had this vision of what I wanted to become, this trash man. So I would practice doing this very thing. Uh, we had these stairs in our house. And I would get the couch cushions and pile up the couch cushions on the floor at the bottom of the stairs. And I would stand off to the side on the first step. And I would hold onto the banister like I was holding onto the back of a trash truck. And I would grab the couch cushions and throw them up onto the stairs like I was throwing bags of trash up into the trash truck. But, but I saw this vision of what it would look like to be a trash man. And so I started practicing what I wanted to become. Same thing with the firefighter. Um, after watching the amazing 1991 movie Backdraft, um, I was sure that I was going to be a firefighter when I grew up. And so um, uh, my brother and I began to practice being firefighters by getting out our bathrobes. We put our bathrobes on, which that was supposed to be like our firefighting gear. And we would get our super soaker water guns. And we'd walk around the house feeling the doors to see if there was heat from behind them, if there was going to be a backdraft. And we'd bust the doors open and then put the fires out in the house. Uh, but I love the vision of being a trash man or a firefighter. Um, there was something about these jobs that, that captured me. And so I began doing the things that would help me become either a trash man or a firefighter. By the way, do you know, um, as they pull children now, um, the number one thing that kids say they want to be? There was a recent study that the largest percentage, 29%, said they wanted to be this. Do you know what kids want to be now? Influencers. Influencers. That's what kids want to be. So I think we're in good hands with that. Uh, 29% of kids are going to be influencers. But it makes sense because that's, you know, what they see so much, you know, online. Um, sometimes we, we get a vision for something and we love it. And so we start actively trying to become that thing. But sometimes it works the other way around. James Clear, who's the author of Atomic Habits, says this. He says, you will love whatever you pour your heart into. He says, passion follows commitment. So he's saying whatever we're pouring our hearts into on a daily basis, in, the, in those mundane daily routines, he's saying that's giving us a love for the thing. And sometimes we may not necessarily have a great vision for what we're doing. We, we may not know what we're doing, how we're being shaped or formed by that. But our daily habits, our weekly habits, our monthly habits are actually forming us into a certain type of person. We become like the thing that we give ourselves to. And it's, another way of getting at this question of what am I becoming is to ask the question, what am I giving myself to? Or even what am I trusting in? 
So just two thoughts from this psalm this morning. We're going to talk about trusting in idols and trusting in God. First, trusting in idols. This psalm starts with this beautiful prayer in verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. What a beautiful request. A really humble request. Not to us, but all glory to you, God. Um, this is bowl season, so there's football on. Basically, feels like 24-7 right now. Um, the best interviews after a really exciting game with the star player is when the star player deflects all glory from themselves and the reporter's like, you played an amazing game. What was that like? And they're like, I've got a great offensive line. I've got a great running back. My coach is amazing. Thanks to my family. Glory be to God. They don't talk about themselves. They deflect the glory to other, other people. That's what's happening in this psalm. The psalmist is praying that all the glory would go to God. All the good that's seen would be reflected on him, not on this group of people. And this idea of glory or, or celebrating the, 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 the best thing is the subject for the rest of this psalm. Uh, because in verse 2, the nations surrounding Israel, Israel, that was God's people in the Old Testament, those nations, these opposing nations are challenging God's people by asking them, they're taunting them. They're saying, hey, where's your God? Where's your God? You know, you talk about this great God, but I can't see him. We can see our gods. We can't see your God. And, and you know, your life doesn't always look so great. Your life doesn't always look so easy. Just where is your God? The psalmist, if you look at the text, answers that challenge in verse 3. And we'll come back to that. But look at verses 4 through 8. He turns that challenge back on them almost as if to say, hey, 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 wait a minute. You're going to challenge us and our God? Look at what you worship. So let's talk about what they worship. Let's talk about their idols. Look at verses 4 through 7. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. Uh, they do not make a sound in their throat. What's he saying? He's saying they literally made their gods with their own hands and these things are not living and cannot do anything and have zero power. These are not transcendent gods they're worshiping. These are not eternal gods they're worshiping. These are not all-powerful gods they're worshiping. They are literally worshiping things they made with their own hands. Our Old Testament reading this morning from Isaiah 44 talks about this very thing. Isaiah describes a carpenter cutting down a tree. Half the tree he uses to burn and make firewood to warm himself. He cooks his food over this flame. The other half of that same tree he carves into a god and he worships it. And that point of that Isaiah passage is he is highlighting how absurd this is. He's essentially saying, do you realize what you're doing here? And it's the very same thing he's using to heat his food, he's also falling down before it and worshiping it and giving his life to it. Why? Why did they do this? Here's a better question. Why do we do this very thing? Even as those who would profess to be committed followers of Jesus, why do we do this? Uh, we do this because we were made to be worshipers. God created us to worship him. It's in our DNA, in our hearts, that we are to worship God. But sin enters a story in Genesis 3 of the Bible and ruins everything. Sin messes up how we worship. It directs our worship away from God onto other things. Romans 1 says it this way, that because of our sin, we exchange the truth about God for a lie and we worship and serve created things rather than the Creator. So sin messes up what we worship. We reject God, but that, that worshiping muscle is still going to be used. It's still going to be active 
but it's going to be uh, instead of directed towards the truth of God and who he is, it's going to be directed towards the lies of the world and we will worship and serve the created things. We'll give ourselves to them. And these idols that we give ourselves to, they always have some kind of promise. Uh, there's some kind of fulfillment that is promised or meaning that is promised or satisfaction, but they never deliver. It's always a lie. You're always going to need more of the thing because the thing in itself, the idol, was never meant to really fulfill you or to satisfy you to take the place of God. And when we give our lives to something other than God, it's like we're giving our lives to an imposter, to something that isn't the real thing. Uh, think about Joe Pesci's character in Home Alone. So there's the two bad guys in Home Alone. Joe Pesci is the shorter gentleman. At the, at the very beginning of Home Alone, when the McAllisters are getting ready for their big trip, and there's chaos in the house, uh, who walks in the front door? It's Joe Pesci dressed as a police officer. And he says he's there uh, to make sure that everything is safe and secure and just to check in on them because it can be a dangerous time during the holidays. He's coming in the name of being safe and secure and someone who can be trusted. But you soon find out he's actually there because he wants to rob the house. And, and it's this image of, you know, you, you see a police officer, that's someone who is safe and secure and who helps you. But then he's actually lying. He's going to come back and try to harm them. This is us with our idols. They promise safety and security and help. We give ourselves to them and what happens? They end up harming us rather than helping us. Look at verse 8. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. When we give ourselves to anything, we become like that thing. Let's talk about our idols. We have to ask ourselves the question then, what am I becoming? Uh, what am I giving myself to on a daily basis? And, and, and think this through, you know, based, based on how you use your time in a given day. Uh, based on how you spend your money. Look, look, at, look at your bank account, your credit card statement. Even think financially, what am I willing to stretch to get? Um, who do I spend my time with? Who are those people who are influencing me? What, what kind of things am I reading? Uh, what am I scrolling through on social media? What, what are the social media accounts that I follow? Uh, what am I streaming when I watch something online? If I have a few down moments and I'm daydreaming, what am I daydreaming about? What's the thing that I sort of fantasize about that's going to make life better and easier and finally really make me content? Um, what, what are your goals in life, those things that you're actively working towards? These are all like little small tells of what we are really honestly giving ourselves to. They're shaping us into becoming certain types of people. Even if we say that God has the allegiance of our hearts, sometimes, and, and we say that we're committed to him alone, sometimes our lives tell a different story. Um, did you know that Netflix actually knows what we watch better than we know what we're going to watch? Um, there have been all these studies um, about this, that when we sit down to watch Netflix or any streaming service, we actually tend to be overly optimistic about the things that we'll spend our time watching on Netflix. We think we'll, we'll watch the helpful, productive, educational stuff. And so that's what we put on our, in our queue, on our list, is all like this like, kind of wholesome stuff. That's not what we watch. Um, and so that's why our suggested viewing is always different than what we put on our list. Uh, one Netflix engineer was quoted in Wire Ma Wired Magazine as saying, quote, many people tell us they watch foreign movies and documentaries, but in practice, that does not happen. Um, there can be this disconnect between what we think we're giving our lives to and what we're really giving our lives to. 
And so this is why the psalmist, he's not just taunting the other nations here for their idols. He's also warning us. He's warning God's people that, hey, those idols around us that we see in these other nations, they're going to be very tempting for us to give our lives to. And if you read about the history of God's people in the Bible, you'll see that over and over again, this is what we do. This is what God's people do. They give themselves to idols rather than to God because those idols are so tempting. And we are are no different. Uh, In Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods, he defines an idol as anything more important to you than God. Anything more, so just pause there. Anything more important to you than God. What is that for you? If you're really honest, what, what would be sort of creeping up on that list is, is tempting you to, to be more important to you than God. He goes on, he says, it's anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. He says, if anything becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, your meaning in life, your identity, then it's an idol. What is more fundamental than God for your happiness in life? That's what you're making an idol out of. He gives some categories, personal idols like romantic love, family, money, power, achievement, health, fitness, physical beauty, personal idols. He talks about cultural idols, military power, uh, technological progress, economic prosperity, individual freedom, self-discovery, personal affluence, fulfillment, so cultural things. He talks about intellectual idols, maybe certain philosophies, or education models, or political views. And so, just with some reflection, what is it for you? Um, Maybe you think about your heart as having a throne, uh, where a king can sit on the throne of your heart. What is sitting on the throne of your heart? What's really in charge? What are you really living for? Who's really ruling your heart? It's the question of what are you becoming? So the, the psalmist taunts the other nations... And also warns us about trusting in idols. But then he tells us why we should trust in God. This is the second point. He makes a case for trusting in God throughout the psalm. And we can think about it in two ways. Both because of God's character and because of God's actions. We can trust in God because of his character. You see this all over the psalm. Look at verse 1. God is what? Loving and faithful. Verse 3. God is all powerful. He does whatever he wants. Verses 9 through 11, God is trustworthy. God is helpful. God is a protector. Um, We're a bit out of season for candy corn, uh, but I'm a big fan of candy corn. Uh, When I see candy corn, I want to eat candy corn. Um, The first few pieces of candy corn are amazing. All the sugary goodness, it's so good. Um, But there is a fine line between just enough candy corn and too much candy corn uh, because once you've had too much suddenly that thing that was so good and tasty becomes nauseating Uh, this is typically how it goes with our idols when we go all in with our lives on anything other than God it might be okay at the beginning but it will not last and it will not satisfy us and it will become nauseating to us but this is not how it is with God. The deeper you go with God, the more time you spend with Him, the longer you walk with Him through this life, the sweeter He becomes. Um, The more time we really sit in His Word, enjoy Him in prayer, talk to Him, the more beautiful He becomes to us. And He never sours. He never gets bitter. Um, He never comes up short. 
He never disappoints. You can never reach the end of, of, of God. Never reach the end of his love. It's a bottomless well. It's just more and more love. It's deeper and more beautiful than we can ever grasp. And he, he really is that good. He won't let you down. We can trust God because of his character. And we can trust in God because of his actions. Verse 12 said he remembers his people. Verses 12 and 13 throughout, he will bless his people. Who amongst his people is he going to bless? Both the small and the great. God will bless all of his people. He shows no partiality. Verse 14, God gives increase. He gives blessing, flourishing, good to his people and even to their children. This is saying that God delivers. That he's never broken a promise and he never will. Um, Has any idol ever really delivered in a lasting way? Has any idol ever really fulfilled you? Um, there's a reason why we always need more. Where if, it, if it's the promotion, suddenly we need the next promotion. If it's getting some money, suddenly we need more money. If it's trying to lose some weight, suddenly it's not enough. We need to lose more weight. If it's one friend who affirms us, we need more friends who affirm us. Um, our idols promise things that they can never deliver, so we just keep looking to them for more and more and more. And they can't deliver because they were never intended to. But God always delivers. Always. And he does so no matter the cost to himself. Just look at Jesus on the cross. God stayed true to his promise to rescue his people, even if it cost him his own son. The cross is proof that God is trustworthy. Uh, Think about these idols we're tempted to worship. What has an idol ever given up from us? Idols only take from us. They steal our joy. They steal our happiness. They take God gives, gives us joy, gives us happiness. He gives everything. Romans 8.29 says that we are being conformed into the image of Jesus. That's what God is doing in us. This is who God says we are becoming. We're becoming like his son, Jesus. Um, This is the work that God is doing in us. That's what what he's up to in each of us. And Philippians 1.6 says that this work that he started, he's going to bring to completion. It's a guarantee. So here's the question. Are you participating in the work that God is doing in your life right now? God has an agenda for you. And he's told us the agenda. It's that we would become more like Jesus. And he's guaranteed that that's going to happen. So the invitation is to enter into that work. And God has actually given us things that help us enter into this. He's given us things like his word, the Bible, to to study and to memorize and to meditate on. Uh, So maybe becoming more like him this next year looks like getting on some kind of Bible reading plan or getting into uh, uh, one of our small group Bible studies or or agreeing to meet, you know, once every couple weeks with a friend and talk about what you're reading in the scriptures. Some way to stay in his word on a regular basis. Because this is one of the things he's given us to participate in what he's already doing in us. He's also given us prayer. Talking to God. Uh, growing in our intimacy with him. Um, so maybe this time of reading the Bible includes some time of responding to God in prayer, of, of just reading a few verses and talking to God about how that makes, what that makes you think about, how that makes you feel to read that in his word. Maybe it means setting up regular time with a friend to, to walk and to pray. 
He's given us things like fasting. We're going to talk more about fasting in a couple weeks when we get back in to our Sermon on the Mount series. But, but fasting helps us loosen our grip on the things of this world and actually helps us to physically feel our need of him. So maybe there's some kind of weekly or monthly fasting that God is inviting you into this year. He's also given us things like each other. Um, to get together on Sundays, to worship, to, to sing together, to pray, to gather around this table before us. He's given us things like fellowship, to be in each other's homes, uh, to share meals together, to pray for each other. So maybe this year, entering into the work that God is doing in you means being more regular in worship attendance. Or maybe finally settling in with a neighborhood group and committing to being there. Um, he has given us real ways to participate and what he's making us into. And here's the beautiful thing about what we're becoming in the Lord. He's guaranteed the outcome. We will become like Jesus. And in the meantime, he has invited us to participate in that work of becoming. What will that look like for you personally this year? And, you know, here's the thing. Uh, To become like Jesus... You first need to surrender your life to Jesus. And that order is really important. We don't first become like Him in order to be with Him. We come to Him as we are with our sin and our mess and our idols. And He rescues us from these things. And He begins His transformative work in us. And He offers Himself to you this morning. Won't you respond by faith? Let's pray. Father, thank You that you really do love us. You love us so much that you gave. You gave everything. You gave your son Jesus. You don't take, you give. And you gave Jesus so that we might be rescued from our sin, from our idols. And Father, even as we reflect on this, would you show us those things that we're tempted to make into idols? Those created things that we're tempted to worship and serve rather than you? We need your help, Holy Spirit, to see those things in our lives. Help us to even use each other to better understand that. And Father, um, may we this year fully enter into the work that you're doing in making us more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus. May we um, receive that invitation and respond by entering into that good work. And Father, would you meet us even now as we come to the table. In Jesus' name, amen.